Welcome to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, sponsored by our friends at the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty here in Washington, D.C., a program that cuts through the chaos and confusion in the culture today by talking to kingdom citizenship, bold biblical principles for a robust public Christian life. And now your host, Dr. Greg Seltz. Good day, good day, Washington, D.C., and friends of the program all around the country. I'm Greg Seltz. Welcome to Liberty Action Alert, where every week we try to cut through the noise and take on the issues, especially the public issues that matter to you, people of faith. Today in our program, we welcome back a tremendous contributor to our work. I got to say, first of all, Robert Benny, Professor Benny, his his work's paradoxical vision uh, was foundational to my in missional engagement in the city. Uh, whenever I was working, I was trying to keep politics in its proper place uh, so I could actually do the work that I was supposed to do. And, and I had to deal with it because it was New York. I had to deal with it because it was L.A. Politics was just part of the water I was swimming in. And paradoxical vision, how to depoliticize a lot of issues so I could actually engage the community. His his resources were great. There's another book out, uh, it's been out for a while, Good and Bad po- uh, Ways to Think About religion and politics. These are great resources, folks, for you to use, because today we're talking about, you know, voting, and we're going to talk about this. And And the title of the message is, is uh, Vote Platforms, Then People. I used to say platforms, not people, but nah, I guess you do have to take into account. Uh, but put them in that proper order and let some of these resources be a help to you. He's been a professor, an author, a commentator on these things for a long time. He brings a lot of wisdom to the topic. Welcome, Professor Benny. Always good to talk with you. Yeah, and, and likewise. And so, okay, you know, you heard my title of the message. Uh, go with that. Is that a good, do you think that sends the right message for those who are getting ready to vote they're taking their franchise. And by the way, and one of the reasons why this is so important, people, is the Bible. Jesus is the one who differentiates, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's, because God is at work through Caesar, just not to save. Okay, that's why politics will not save you. Good politics won't save you. Bad politics, though, can destroy. So, you know, in the Caesar church state and all that kind of stuff, Jesus differentiates and shows, you know, their relative importance. But America took that whole Caesar concept and gave it to the citizen. So when you exercise your vote, you're actually exercising the role of Caesar, if you will, in representative government in a way that no other culture has ever given its citizens uh, that authority. So when I say vote platforms, then people, what Bob, take off on that. Do you think that's a good general advice or would you, you add to it or subtract from it? Well, I take it you're saying that the uh, platform is more important than the people who actually represent it. Well, I guess, you know, I, I want to be fair here and say, look, if I, if I vote for a guy and he says, I'm not going to do the platform, you know, that's it. No, I'm saying if you, the first thing, the first and foremost thing is, don't, is, I think a lot of politics is becoming popularity contests. And, and he's a really nice guy and he's not a nice guy. And all oh, this guy's a great folks. I just read an article about Brad and Angelina Jolie. And do you know that the whole image of them was completely constructed? Mm. You have no idea what Brad Pitt is like. You have no idea what Angelina Jolie is like, except for the people who actually control the levers of PR. And I'm saying a lot of, you know, I see the demonization of good people happen all the time here on the Hill. 
And I go, that guy's a really good guy. Well, why is he being talked like this in the national? Because the people who control the levers of PR have decided he's he's a bad dude. So again, I just go, well, okay, but what was he espousing? So I, I start with the platform. What are you telling me you're going to do? And is that what I want government to do, not to do? Is that maintaining a proper, healthy understanding of church and state for the sake of the church and its mission? Those kind of things, sanctity of life, those kind of things. So I'm looking for those things in in their platform first. And I'm assuming they're going to carry out their platform, either side. Well, uh, the whole dilemma of person and platform came up very sharply in uh, the first election of Trump. Right. And appeared again in 2020 when he lost. But uh, 81% of evangelicals voted for Trump. And of course, uh, the left then makes that out to be they're supporting this crazy anti or non-Christian guy who's not trustworthy at all and and impulsive and all those megalomaniac. But of course, what they were voting for uh, was the platform. Some of the things that he would... uh, and some of the things that he would protect them from. Right. Uh, one of the reasons I think he won was that uh, he wasn't so politically correct. He was willing to be unpolitically correct. And everybody was censoring themselves because of political correctness. And this was a kind of a brush, fresh air. So what I'm saying is that uh, I would think that 81 percent, most of them didn't vote for him because of his person. His right. I agree with that. And, but, you know. But see, the thing that but I get hit by the other side who says, how could you have voted for that? Because he's such a mean guy. And I say, I finally said, do you even know who Joe Biden is as a real person? I mean, do you know who Hillary Clinton is? Do you know who these people are? Of course you don't. And there's stuff I've seen about, you know, what happens here on the Hill. I'm like, man, they're not what they say they are and blah, blah, blah. But you never hear that. And so this whole notion of why I voted for him because he was a nice guy and he cared about me. I said, that's not the right way to vote for a politician because that's a lot of people do that. Well, I think that's dangerous. They don't know politics. They don't know the principles. So they just make an assessment of the person. And as you say, that's very malleable given the the public relations industry we have. But I want getting back to the point. It seems to me that, uh, I mean, I will admit I voted for Trump and I've been uh, uh, deconnected from several friendships. Yeah. I admitted that. Yeah. But I didn't vote for Trump because of the person. Right. For a couple of things. One was the promise that there were going to be openings at the Supreme Court. I thought that was the most important thing going in that election is whether uh, those vacancies would be filled with people who believed in the Supreme Court as a referee, not as uh, a legislator, but particularly that they would be willing to. be in favor of the exercise of religious freedom. That was so crucial yeah. to me. Yeah. So uh, that was, I voted for him. Purely for that. Held by notes a little bit, but, uh, and he followed through. The other thing is, is no other president actually came to the pro-life uh, uh, meeting in March like Trump did. Oh, know? he was, yeah, unbelievably on yeah, the hill. I don't know yeah. that I believe that he was actually, actually pro-life. I wouldn't yeah. There was a lot of abortion in his history. Right. And I wouldn't doubt that at all. But he came 
And he put it was because of him, it seems to me, that the Roe v. Wade thing was struck down, not so much on religious grounds, perhaps, but on constitutional grounds. And and on, on you know, folks, when we and we can talk about pro-life uh, issues and I'd love to come back and talk about that. But it's the sanctity of life. I was at one of the rallies after, you know, Dobbs was overturned and I was talking to some you know pro-abortion activists and I said, you know why we're here? We're here for you. And they're like, what do you mean for you? You're here to just rub our noses. in." I said, no, we're not. I said, we're here because the art, what you're hearing these people say is that there's human life, that if we can actually say it's not worth living, we can dispose of it with state power. And, you know, folks, eventually they might look at you the same way they look at the, the child in the womb or the older person when they are not useful to society. And we're saying, no, you're human. There's a there's an inherent dignity to that. And we are fighting for that even for you. And they said, oh, we never thought thought about it that way. And so again, I think like you said, it, this was a we just want to be human. We want to be civil. We want to be humanity, not something less than humanity. And I think Trump may have come at it that way. You're you're probably right. Well, and I think after the fall of Roe v. Wade, it's a little bit disturbing and fat frightful how much anger there right. was from a large part of our population that there was any restraints at all on abortion. Period. Yeah, up to up to and after birth. Yeah. Well, okay. So, I I, I think you're I think you're kind of jiving with me. I, I we we can talk about these principles. Well, let's get to some of those principles. And the first one, I, I wrote an article. It's called a mom and pop paper because we try to keep things simple here so that mm. people can really understand. And it, the title was "It's Wrong When the Referees Play the Game." And I think the first question, and I think a lot of people are being seduced today, they think government can take care of everything. It cannot. And not only it, it can't, it, it won't. You know, even if it pledges to do, there's certain things it's not designed to do. And when Jesus differentiates, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. What I think America did in a, in a very wise way is they elevated well, they actually demoted the state to a lower position and elevated the church as legitimate authorities in our lives. And they said, if those two authorities exist in your life, then individual freedom can literally be protected and honored. Well, when the referees decide to start playing the game <laughs> and determining outcomes with coercive power, that's a bad game and nobody wants to play. Well, there's one side of the political equation today that thinks that's the role of government, that it's supposed to dictate how the game ends. And there's the other side that says, no, the government's job is to dictate, you know, keep things fair, make sure we all get to the starting line on time. And, right. and uh, of course, one of the great uh, gifts of America is that we had a limited state at the very beginning. Right. Everybody was conscious at that point, the founders, that you had to have a virtuous citizenry right. in order to have a limited government. And what's happened, it seems to me, is there's been more uh, retrogression in family life, for example, right. and the role of the religion in American life, and the kind of dissolution of what uh, Ross Dowdett called uh, uh, the gentle Protestant hegemony. Right. That build up through the centuries, which was the guidance system for American life. And now that's being squandered. Churches are being weakened. And uh, the, the, the agencies that actually implant character in people that enable them to be self-governing, them to be the players. Right. Uh, well, and, waning. and so what the great danger is the government takes over those functions because citizens don't do it themselves. And sometimes that's because a, a real needful intervention, but many times it's 
the expansion of government because once government begins expanding, it likes to expand. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to get I'm going to push it even further because I've seen this on the I've seen it in the legislation. I've seen the debates, you know, about hey, this isn't working. Uh, so why do you keep propagating this? I've seen the dis. My work has been in urban ministry pretty much all my life, and I kept saying, why Why is the alderman not siding with us on this? It's empowering the neighborhood. And then I started realizing government doesn't want empowered neighborhoods. Government doesn't want educated citizens and virtuous citizens and families that stay together because they don't need government. They just don't. So again, you know, it's counterintuitive a little bit. People think, well, the government exists to bless us. No, there's a certain role it has to play, and the Bible defines it very succinctly too, I think. But when the government says, no, we play the whole game, man, you ought to be really scared about that because they don't play it very well. And I just think that's the struggle I have today is a lot of people are asking the government to do things it's not designed to do. And when it does it, it does it for itself, not for the people. I'd argue with you a little bit on the um, government side. That is okay. quite a few statesmen, quite a few government people, uh, elected people who are aware quite, uh, of exactly what we've been talking about. For example, Ben Sass, you know, who's yeah. a Nebraska senator, he's he quite aware that, that the country is dependent upon a flourishing voluntary sector. I agree with that. But see, the thing for me is then why... See, well, I go back to what when we started to see the dissolution of family in the urban areas. We started to see that already in the late 60s. And, the and, and now it's so ridiculously out of whack. Right. But it was all by public policy. And there's a there's a nefarious aspect of government. If we can create enough chaos, they, they're going to have to turn to us. And and so I guess I'm struggling with, OK, well, but the reality is I love what Ben Sass is. I've read his books, too. It's great stuff. But you as a government, you, you guys, you guys never attacked the fact that you were part of the problem. I mean, the policies were part of the problem and we haven't reneged on any of those policies. We just keep throwing it at it and it just keeps dissolving the family, displacing the church and creating this notion the government's going to fix it anyway when the government's creating the problem. So I, I guess I go right back to let's ask the first question. What is the main role of government and have we have we asked too much of it? Well, I agree with you in your uh, sharp critique of the government taking up these roles, not only of the referee, but the player. And I would fasten it more to the administrative state. That is where you build up a huge bureaucracy. That bureaucracy is not going to shrink. It's going to find more exactly. and more growth, which then intervenes more and more with regulations. And it intervenes more and more into the public sector, private sector, where the formation of virtue takes place. And I must say, it's it's really a scary pro, uh, prospect. What is what is going to re- rebuild the family, particularly right. among poor whites and especially among poor white, blacks with mm-hmm. mother-dominated fa- uh, families? Uh, what, what is it? Some huge percentage of young black men in prison are from fatherless homes. Right. How's the government going to help with that? Well, I think, yeah. And the question is, did the government help create that? And I think that's a big issue and no one's talking about it, but it's the number one issue in the city. And uh, black conservatives, Hispanic conservatives will tell you that face to face. I would say 
Again, any any legislation that incentivizes families to stay together, any legislation that gives intact families the ability to send their kids to educational facilities that build the virtue in them that they wish, which is called parental choice, folks. It, it, it Black families, Hispanic families and white poor families, they all want it. And yet there's one side that won't let it happen. And there's another side that can't seem to get it done. But my point is, is that those are, again, you start with honor your father and your mother. That's the principle. And legislation that goes against that is bad legislation. Mm-hmm. Legislation that incentivizes it, but can't, you know, but still demands that they do it. That's probably better legislation. And don't look for legislation to solve all these problems. Would that be a fair way to think about some of that? Well, it sure is. And, and your, your articulation of how uh, uh, the government takes the role of parents is really a, a hot point now with gender ideology. Right. That's the a lot higher than the poverty question right now, because it's taking so much of the role of parents away from them on this crucial issue of a kind of a solid identity, which, I mean, in my growing up, there's no one worried about that. Everybody had a clear, I just went, signed up for a vaccination at CVS that asked me, what was my birth assigned at birth? What was, what is my... Wow gender identity assigned at birth and i'm going to give this the 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 medical person that's going to do the vaccine i'm going to give them a bad time about that i mean this is this is ridiculous so i I agree that uh that incursion of the government public education is most visible there but it's visible in other places too poverty being one but that we're not very conscious of that right now how government has made people dependent create a dependency among poor blacks and poor whites. Well, I would even go, like I said, the defund the police um, movement. I always said, oh, oh look, I, here's our Lutheran argument on the two kingdom argument. I said, yeah, we don't want limited government. I don't want police in every corner. I mean, if you've ever been in a neighborhood that's that's got a policeman on every corner, you can't, you know, or if you drive over the speed limit and a little flashing sign sends you a ticket or something, that'd be a terrible place to live. But if you have a, a weaker or a limited police force, you need strong families. They're an inverted relationship to each other. Well, when you have policies that destroy the family, policies that destroy the police, then all you got left is the power of government. And 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 if we keep a healthy police, we don't ask the police to be moms and dads. They're the, the last line of defense against really bad people. That's all we want the police to do. And they, they're supposed to honor the badge uh, that we create the laws of that badge. Um, that's a civil society saying we we can handle most of these things ourselves. And so, again, like you said, our way of engaging these things is to actually put things in their proper place. Start with the principles first. Right. And one of the things uh, we didn't mention that's crucial is uh, once people are arrested, really violent criminals are arrested, they have to be kept in prison. They can't be right. on the, out on the street again. And this I think these are one of the key issues in the coming election, right? Safety, right? right. And, uh, financial things like uh, uh, inflation. Those seem to be the two top ones. And when I tried to uh, articulate in my book, uh, Ordinary Saints, the functions of government, purposes of government, first one is domestic security and order. Right. Romans so, 13. And uh, safety is a big problem. Uh, right having to do with the police and other things. And the second thing is economic health and vitality. Or And, and I guess, like I said, even there, I would argue that uh, the government really, you know, in a free market, we, again, dictate a lot of that stuff. 
I, I always use the example of socialism is the government tries to dictate whatever things supposed to cost, how we produce it. And we wind up having less of it and we wind up having higher prices. But look at Southwest as a, as a free organization. They let all of their workers have a stake in the company. They give stock in the company to all their workers. So whenever someone's serving you on the plane or flying it or managing the company, everybody wins when the company does well. And I'm saying United and American could sure learn a few things. <laughs> but the last thing you want is the federal government telling Southwest what to, what to charge their people, et cetera, et cetera. You want the ingenuity and creativity and right. affluence of uh, producing of the free market economy. But what the point is, is that, and right, it's happening now in this election, is that the government gets blamed for bad. Right. <laughs> and of course, in this case, uh, it's it's been crucially involved in the inflationary economy. It has. Dumped a couple trillion dollars in, and then, costs, then creates an enormous increase in the price of energy so you get those two things going and you've got inflation. So they have to be responsible for that in that sense. And a lot of that would be pulling back regulations right. and not putting so much money in the economy, not, not printing money. Right. Well, you know, first of all, again, I love your books help me depoliticize a lot of these issues. So we could even have a spirited discussion about economics and maybe we disagree on that and we could still go to the altar of the Lord together. Uh, I love your, I call it the Benny grid of engagement. The, there's a couple of things that you've got to say, thus saith the Lord to, from the church to the government because the, the only power that's able to keep the government in its place is the moral, um, you know, the moral and virtue of its of the citizenry and the church. And right now, folks, uh, like like Dr. Benny is talking about, the church is being weakened, some of it because we are not doing our job and others because of uh, the plan. But again, I love that paradoxical vision helped me depoliticize so many issues so that I could actually do the evangelism work. Um, and so how about this? You know. The principles we're talking about, religious liberty, because I can defend that for all people. Um, sanctity of life, because what's the point of doing any of this stuff if we can say some lives aren't worth living? And I mean innocent life, not, you know, if, if someone defies sanctity of life, kills somebody, that's a whole different discussion because they violated that. The third one is we talk about marriage as an institution, but we actually argue that it's a religious liberty issue for us. If the government won't keep its, you know, paws out of the male re female relationship. They should get out of the whole marriage business and let us defend marriage and and grow marriage as a blessing that it is. And the last one's educational freedom that we should be able to educate our children in the virtuous educational process that we wish. Those are the four things I look for when I vote. I'm looking for the candidate. What does he say about that? What's the platform? Is he going to execute that platform, or is he actually arguing against that platform? And then I'm going to actually oppose that. And so do you want to add anything to that? Or do you think that's a fair way to start? Well, I think we, yeah, I agree with those. Uh, certainly uh, the, the educational freedom uh, seemed, could be subsumed under religious freedom. but not Yeah, religious. I think that's another religious liberty issue for us. You're exactly uh, right. But I guess I would add a social minimum that, and in, in the sense that the most vulnerable and unable to contribute in our society need to be supported uh, in a very wholesome manner. And you could start with easy cases like people who have been wounded yeah. terribly in Afghanistan. The government should be responsible for really great care for them. But what, where it really gets tricky 
is where you get able-bodied people who can work and you have to set up the incentives and the disincentives in such a way that you push them into work. Well, folks, in closing, we've got a Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty guidelines for your vote, vote principles, platforms, then people. And there's one paragraph. I'll just close today's session. Here's, Here's a paragraph from that. Politicians and policies that properly differentiate the role of state and church in our lives, that would favor limiting government coercive involvement in our lives to a healthy minimum, favoring and promoting the sanctity of life, the fundamental authority of parents with their children, especially with regards to education, uh, defending the institutional nature of marriage between one man and one woman for life and its necessary blessing for culture. If they won't do that, at least allow us to teach it. Promote law and order with all equal justice under the law for communities. The bad guys should be afraid of the law. The good guys and people who live relatively civil lives shouldn't. Promote property rights, self-defense for people who wish to create homes of safety, peace, and prosperity for their ones they love, especially their children. And vote principles, Christians, that honor the commands of the Scripture and the Scripture's delineation and limitation of the role of government in our lives. To that end, God bless you, and go and vote. Thank you, Dr. Benny, for being with us today. You're welcome. Good to be here. Thanks for tuning in today. To get to know our LCRLDC work better, check out our website at lcrlfreedom.org. Till next time, God bless you always. I'm Greg Seltz. Have a great week. You've been listening to Liberty Action Alert with Greg Seltz, Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C. This program has been brought to you by the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty. 